Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to part two of the mailbag. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined, as always, by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And, of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nibley. So let's jump right back into the mailbag, and we will start with Will at NotSince69. And Will says, Tony Pauline on Joe Caparoso's podcast said, Gase was a strong personality, almost overbearing from the get-go. Why in the world did Max sign off on Gase and not threaten to resign? He had the power at that point with the draft and free agency approaching. Mac got run over here as far as I'm concerned. I think what it comes down to is, we boil it down for you, Mac just wanted to please Christopher Johnson and didn't see Gase as a threat at that point. He saw him as a guy that will come in here, be the coach. This was his only option. I guess he just didn't understand that it's in Gase's DNA to be the alpha in any room that he's in, and he's certainly not going to accept being second fiddle to Mike McCagnin, and that's basically what it is. I think that Mike McCagnin completely underestimated Adam Gase and his drive to get what he wants, and as a result, Mike McCagnin will be watching the Jets on television from his home this year, and Adam Gase will have whoever it is in the front office owing the job to him and basically doing whatever it is that he wants them to do. Yeah, I take no issue with the uh, the theory, the idea that Mac just got ran over and bullied out of here. Obviously, you can't really dispute that. That's exactly what happened. I do. I will push back on the fact that the idea that Mac had the power to sit there and be, refuse Gase. I don't. I do not think he had that that type of power right now. Now, again, he might have been able to try to argue a little more strongly against it. He probably, he obviously should have done that at that point. What's, what's the worst that could have happened? He could have ended up getting fired a couple of months, months ago instead of just this week. Um, so obviously in hindsight, he should have, he should have probably done that, but I, he didn't have the power to just be like, listen, I, I don't want this guy right now. I, this was Woody Johnson's call and how much influence McCagnan had, how much say is open for dispute, but, this this was this was Christopher Johnson's call. Next question comes in from Sean Stalker again. He says, Scott and the very big deal, Chris Nimley, is it fair to say that firing a low key Todd Bowles was easy for Christopher Johnson, but after spending time with Gase, he realized how badly this organization was missing leadership and then soured on Mac as a result. I'll take my chances with the new guy as Mac was a terrible general manager. Also, any rumors about Lewis Riddick interviewing? So we'll start with this. It's possible that maybe he saw the way that Gase operated and the contrast made him realize that he needed somebody that was a little bit more like Gase in charge. That said, I suspect that the main driving force of this was Gase complaining and Gase stating his case over and over again through back channels and to Christopher Johnson himself. As far as Lewis Riddick, I haven't heard anything about him interviewing. I don't expect him to. He's got a good gig at ESPN, and I don't think that he has any desire to walk into this. Plus, he has no connection to Gase. Yeah, you know, that what he just said is pretty 
Pretty much, kind of, yes, yeah, sort of, but there's, it's not, it's just not that simple. Um, he definitely, it was definitely easier for him to fire bulls, and I think he, he got caught up with what a lot of fans got caught up with, the fans that were still de- defending McCagnin, they, they could see, every Sunday, they could see that Todd Bowles did things that just weren't good enough. Mm-hmm. They could see, you could see that it was available to everybody and obvious to everybody. And I don't know whether he just didn't bother looking into McCagnin enough. He didn't know enough what to look into. I, I, you know, I, I still, it was, it was Gase that drove this from happening. Now, if Gase wasn't pushing for it, if Gase wasn't doing things behind the scenes to try and tweak it, I don't think it would have happened. So it's not just that Johnson got to sit around and watch Gase and was like, oh, I need somebody more like this here. No, this is this was about Gase. Gase absolutely was behind the scenes working to do this and was poking at it and trying to initiate this. But there is there is some of that. And, uh, you know, how much of that was just Christopher Johnson might have seen it if he looked harder or knew what to look for beforehand. Maybe, but again, I think it still boils down to at a certain point, Christopher Johnson was just like, This is an untenable situation, and I need to do something right now. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Kinetic One. He says... Are people going to stop crying about Matt getting fired already? Give it some time, dude. It just happened. <laughs> I mean, this, this is the crazy part about it is that obviously that he's got McCagnin had, still had some of his supporters, but the majority, vast majority of fans and people in the media even thought that McCagnin should have been fired. So it's just funny to sit there's all this hand wringing over it, even though I understand the bad the optics of it. I understand it's a bad look. I understand it's bad timing. But again, people keep talking about this just makes the Jets more dysfunctional than the Knicks now. Have you been paying attention to the Knicks? Because I'm sorry, fire I'm, I refuse to believe that firing Mike McCagnin makes you more dysfunctional than the Knicks. I don't care when, why or how it's done, firing Mike McCagnin is 
not, uh, not going to make you more dysfunctional than the Knicks. And yes, Christopher Johnson's not a great owner. I, I will take him over James Dolan any day of the week. If you've been paying attention to the Knicks, it takes a lot more than firing Mike McCagnin at a weird part of the season, or uh, weird part of the year, for me to say that you're going to be more dysfunctional than the Knicks. Not to mention the Mets. I think it's really more a matter of the fact that the how, the when, and of course, the who now takes power. That's really what the concern is and why people are nervous about it. It's not necessarily that they're big fans of Mike McCagnin. In fact, I think most of them are not. But that's really what the concern is. And I think they're all valid concerns. Next question comes in from Gus Toon. He says, same question I had last week, but now it has a little more juice. If Gase splits the locker room, will the front office, whoever that ends up being, step in and take charge? Well, I hate to say it, but whoever's in the front office is probably going to be Gase's guy. So I don't really know how that one's going to be expected to go. I would assume that the front office would take Gase's side. If it gets bad enough, maybe ownership will step in, but let's hope it doesn't get to that point. Yeah, it's... it's it would depend exactly on who the GM is, but I would imagine that anybody that's getting hired, especially if it's Joe Douglas or somebody at the top of the list, somebody who will have options down the line, Christopher Johnson is going to be, say to them, like, listen, you're going to be the GM. You're not just going to be a shadow puppet of a GM, just a yes man for Adam Gase. And again, Christopher Johnson said he's going to keep this insane structure of having them report separately. So as long as they're reporting separately, it's going to be hard for Gase to uh, to make sure that that person is just a yes man. And if they're reporting separately, then Christopher Johnson should be able to clearly identify any type of problems like that developing, and he should absolutely step in and do that. I'm just I'll just say this: if if problems like this keep popping up. Adam Gase is going to be out of town no matter what. I, I can't. He's not going to be able to keep just uh, you know picking fights with the GM and just getting the new GM out of here. It's not. It's not going to be able to happen. It's just like we talked about with Bowles when Bowles was getting near his end. How many different offensive coordinators do you need, guy? Like you can't get a new offensive coordinator each year. At a certain point, you're going to have to take the fall too. If we're bringing in a new offensive coordinator, bringing a new head coach. And it'll be the same thing with Gase here. As long as Dell Loggins is around, there's no need for any more offensive coordinators. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Next question comes in from Peter Dillard. He says, Scott and the very big deal, Chris Nimbley, now that the usurper is the team's general manager, and yes, I'm going to be using that title, can we expect more attention to be paid to the offensive line? Hearing mixed reviews, didn't look like he invested more than one pick in each of his drafts, a sign of the line being set, or is he Mac Jr.? Probably should not call him Mac Jr. because Mac would have never invested even that much capital in the offensive line. So I spoke to Travis Wingfield about this recently, and we're going to post a podcast about it next week. And we went in detail about the way that Gates likes to build the roster. And I'm sorry to say that, yes, he is kind of McCagnin-esque in the way that he handles the offensive line. He just likes to plug holes with short-term fillers. The only exception is Laramie Tunsil, who fell into his lap. That was a guy that Mac really wanted, too. If you remember, he tried to trade up for Laramie Tunsil once Tunsil started to fall in the draft. almost. Yes, another member of the Almost Jets. But other than that, the only investment in the draft that Gase made was a fifth-round guard who ended up getting released within the last week or two. 
from what Travis has said, it seems like Gase doesn't really believe that the offensive line is that much of a priority because of the way that his fast operating offense works. So just get ready for that. Unfortunately, I don't think that we're going to see a lot of high-level investments in the offensive line. So it'll be kind of like meet the new boss, same as the old boss, at least in that regard. Yeah, when I said this before, they even hired Gase, and this was one of my concerns. And, and I, I said it specifically, it would tie it into the captain that, that you know, maybe this is an area that they can bond on here because my biggest criticism of McCagnan was his failure to really build uh, the offensive line through the draft. And it's ironic that this is the year that he spent his highest draft pick on an offensive lineman. Uh, so just a, another thing to add to the irony box here, but bef- not this off season, obviously, but uh, going into the last off season, uh, a, a year ago when Gates was still in Miami, they needed uh, a guard help inside. He didn't want to spend the money on the guard. He wanted to spend that money on defense. Now, one thing I'll say here is uh, Miami needed some help on defense. They didn't have the defense right now where this situation here is the Jets don't need as much defense. They could obviously still use some corner help. They could use some more coverage out of the linebackers, but they need more of the help on the offensive side. So maybe it'll be you know the case by case dependent but yeah it it seems and feels like adam gase is definitely a, a believer of the get the rid of the ball quick and there therefore we don't need to spend that much time on the offensive line hey guys greg peterson here with the baseball betting podcast as we know the mlb season is back in our lives it's going to be a 60 game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Sean Stalker had another comment, and I thought it was worth reading because it made me laugh. He says, the most depressing part of all of this is finding out that Mike McCagnan had basically been dedicating all of his time to college scouting and still produced this embarrassing draft track record of players no longer in the league. His only real hits were guys that were picked in the top six of the draft. Well, Christopher Herndon, I guess you could consider a hit too, probably. But other than that, yeah, you're pretty much on target. If he was dedicating all of his time to scouting college players, I don't think I'd even want to hire him as a director of college scouting or even an area scout. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a very good observation and a very astute point. Absolutely. I don't know. Maybe he needs to switch his brand of coffee and get a stronger coffee to, you know, maybe that his coffee he was drinking wasn't keeping him up enough and he was sleeping through some of this, the later round tape, because those, those top six picks he's, he did very well on even the Leo pick that that's perfectly fine. But, uh, yeah, the rest of the draft, not so much, you know, the Brandon show was, was good for where he found him. The Christopher Herndon one, obviously there, but yikes, yeah, it's not good. And to think that that's that's what he was doing was just watching college tape and just traveling and going and watching games. And his hit miss uh, record is as bad and as abysmal as it is. That's yeah, that's bad. That's just concerning as can be. And yeah, again. This is the reason why, as much as I understand the timing and everything and this and that, the Jets are better off without McCagnan. 
Next question comes in from Anton. He says, enough of Gase versus Mac. Why is no one talking about the biggest story and the one that everybody seems to be covering up for, which is the fact that I can't buy an actual Quinnen Williams jersey. And when you select his name on the site, they try to jam you with the left over the number one or the more expensive custom option. Where is Twitter legend Paulie Brzez on this? Paulie question. It really is. I'm going to have to talk to Paulie about this because he's our jersey expert. But it really does sound like a nefarious cover-up. And this is something that the Jets should be questioned on. I honestly can't believe that they've gotten away with this for this long. So, Chris, the next time you have an opportunity to ask people some questions around there, I expect answers. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll say this. It's most likely as simple as this. We don't know what Quinn Williams' jersey number is going to be yet. Um, how many, what was the Jersey number Leonard Williams was wearing when the, when it hit during rookie camp, what he was wearing like 62 or 65 or something like that. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Quinn Williams will have some Jersey during OTAs that we'll see. I believe it starts. If, if I don't, I'm not mistaken next week we have, uh, at the end of next week, we have one of those. We'll probably see that. But when you have this many people on the roster, there's like 90 players on the roster right now. It, we're going to get the roster sheet with everybody's names next to their number. And there's going to be players on offense and defense that are sharing numbers. It gets really confusing and really hard to track right now. So you pr might have to wait until after the uh, cuts and it's dwindled down to the 53-man roster until we know for sure what Quinn Williams' jersey number is. But my guess is it's probably just that at this point. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Shane Corbett. He says, do you think Greg Williams could be in any danger given that Gase doesn't like any dissenting voices in the room and clearly wants to surround himself with yes men? I'm thinking of betting every spare penny I can find on Williams not making it through the end of the season. Plus, it sounds like Williams being the defensive coordinator was a concession that he had to make to get the job in the first place. It's an interesting point. I don't think Greg Williams is going anywhere, although I guess with McCagnan not around, that whole Joe Vitt thing takes on a life of its own now. I would imagine that Williams is going to be here for the whole year unless something really egregious happens. But it is interesting. At the end of the year, who knows? Maybe there's a guy that Gase wants that he now has the power to go out and get because Williams was the guy that was more or less suggested to him when he took the job. Maybe even Joe Vitt goes to Gase and says, I need this guy out of here. And of course, Vitt is Gase's father-in-law, so you know whose side he's going to take. A lot of it is going to depend, too, on how well the defense does under Greg Williams, because if the defense doesn't do well, it's not going to matter who he is or what his reputation is. We know how Gase is. He's not one of Gase's boys, so to speak. He'll sweep him right out of here. Yeah, these last couple of days have been so crazy that admittedly I have I didn't even really think about this. It's not a thought that popped into my head, but I can't imagine that it's going to be a, anything to worry about right now. 
he's not going to try to find a new defensive uh, coordinator at this point. It'll depend on how the season plays out. If it if it's not great, if they don't get along great during the season, then absolutely I can expect uh, you know him to possibly go a different direction. But I would have expected that. It's not like I was sitting here before McCagney got fired, being like, "Yeah, Gase and Greg Williams. That's a that's a pairing that'll last forever. They'll continue on forever together." That's I, I would have had that concern no matter what. If this defense does isn't great next year, then Greg Williams was in danger no matter what. And so I can definitely see it becoming a problem down the line. I don't think there's anything to worry about right now off uh, to start with, but uh, that's something I guess I'll look into. Like I said, I, I really didn't even consider that at this point. Next question comes in from Mike McCarr. He says, is Champ Kelly going to get a fair shot at the GM job? I think if Douglas decides to stay in Philly or if Philly blocks him from coming, because remember, Philly has the ability to block him unless the Jets put in writing that he would get full control of the 53-man roster. So if that's the case, maybe Philly blocks him. Or it's also possible that he uses this to go back to Philly and say, hey, listen, the Jets are about to offer me this GM job, but I would like to stay if you can make it worth my while and match the amount of money that they're going to give me to be the GM. So until he actually signs something, who knows? If he doesn't take the job as we all expect, then I think Kelly will get a fair shot. But I would say at this point, it seems like reading the tea leaves, this is Douglas's job if he wants it. Yeah, if Douglas gets the job, then nobody else got a fair shot. And that's that's just pretty much how I will put that. If if he doesn't, then I think everybody that is in question is getting a fair shot. Anybody who is getting an interview would get a fair shot in that situation. What I will say is I did talk to somebody earlier today that they still think it's going to be Joe Douglas, but they just said the the thing that the only thing they can see holding it, stopping it from happening is that the Eagles come to him and give him a promotion and give him a, you know whatever a new title, give him more money and give him a reason to really stay and and not go to the Jets. So if that if Joe Douglas doesn't come here, I've talked to people who think that that's the only way that that will happen. But again, if Joe Douglas is the guy here, then yeah, no, nobody else really got a fair shot. And that could definitely happen. Jerry Jones has been notorious for that, spending a ton of money on assistant coaches and people in his front office that he valued but didn't want to leave when they had the opportunity to. Chris Richard is an example. He had said in the offseason that anybody that wanted to make him their head coach was going to have to outbid him because he valued Richard that much and was willing to pay whatever he had to to keep him. So who knows? If he's that valuable to Philly, maybe they pony up and Douglas decides to stay, but we're going to find out soon enough. Josh McDaniels, too. Remember that? He accepted the head coaching job, and then uh, Belichick and Kraft went to him to offer him more money to convince him to stay. So it happens. 100%. I'm not saying it's likely, but it's definitely possible. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Matty Trainer. He says, why do some analysts question how Le'Veon Bell will play this year after sitting out a year completely healthy, but automatically think injury-riddled players who missed all or most of last season, like Jimmy G, McKinnon, and Alexander, will easily bounce back? It's an interesting question. I think the idea is that those guys were playing, they were in football shape at one point, they were in training camp, the whole thing, so it's different than Le'Veon Bell sitting out a year, but... 
in a way, you have a pretty strong point. Ultimately, if you missed all or most of last season, you're pretty much in the same boat as Le'Veon Bell. And in fact, you might be in a worse boat because, as you pointed out, those guys all have to recover from major injuries, whereas Le'Veon Bell had an entire year to rest his body. There's no question that there's the possibility for rust with Le'Veon Bell, but it is true. Those guys should get just as much scrutiny as Le'Veon Bell, and it's kind of bizarre that they don't. Yeah, it's an excellent question, and it's a question that I typically ask, too, because it doesn't make sense. If if you don't have concerns about a player who missed a full season for injury, I don't know why you'd have a, concerns about a player who just took the year off. It'd be one thing if the guy took a year off, and then, you know, remember when uh, the report was that he was 30 pounds overweight and whatever, which obviously isn't the case. But if that was the case, then I could see it. I, I think you get some of that is because people will tie him missing the season to, the, you know, this idea of he doesn't truly love the game, that that type of stuff, which is another one of those things that reporters and people will throw out that I just roll my eyes out. I just don't believe in. And we have enough players in all sports who don't truly love the game, who are great as it is. Uh, so, and I do think that Le'Veon Bell truly does love playing football, so that's not it. Also, honestly, I think it's just laziness, uh, a lazy take when people do stuff like that because they don't really think it through. He's in a, He is in a better position than somebody who, let's say, missed the all-last season because they tore an ACL, and then they had to sit there and rehab, and then they had to also work their way to get back into football shape. Le'Veon Bell is in great shape right now, and he is ready to go. It's going to take him some uh, – he admitted this. He said this in his conference call with us, that he's going to have rust. It's going to take him a little bit of time to shake it off. and It's going to take him some time to get back into football shape. But guess what? That's what training camp, that's what preseason is for. By the time the regular season starts and comes around, I have no doubt that he's going to be ready to go. Next question comes in from Shane Corbett again. He says, do you think it's possible Gase doesn't want Bell because he's afraid Bell will get most of the credit if the Jets' offense improves? Also, is there a danger he won't use Bell correctly because of this? Could Gase's apparent narcissism get in the way of success? I don't think his narcissism will get in the way of success in terms of him not wanting to use Bell. I think maybe there's a possibility that something happens with their personalities colliding. And then, like I said, maybe he tries to find a way to get rid of Bell at some point down the line in the contract. But I think Gase is smart enough to know that if he wants to win, he's going to have to make plenty of use of Le'Veon Bell. As to the first part of the question, I do think there's a lot to it. That part of the reason that he didn't want Le'Veon Bell, in addition to the person personality and in addition to the reported salary cap concerns is the fact that he has to be the smartest man in the room all the time and he felt like he could take Tevin Coleman and make a star out of him and say hey you sucker spent 12 15 million dollars on Le'Veon Bell I got this guy for five million dollars and look what I did with him in my offense so I definitely do think that there's an element of that to this with Adam Gase no question about it That's what Adam Gase's history tells you, is that he always has to be the smartest guy in the room. Everybody has to fit into his exact scheme. That is why he probably preferred Tevin Coleman, because Coleman would allow him to puff his chest out a lot more than Le'Veon Bell, because people will look at Le'Veon Bell and be like, 
oh, no, Le'Veon Bell, look at that. He's great. He's, what are you going to do, take credit for that? As opposed to with Tevin Coleman, where if Coleman were to perform at a Pro Bowl or All-Pro level, Gase could take credit for his development into that level of player. I think you see that more when it comes to trying to acquire the free agents. I don't think you're going to see that so much as in the game planning and the game, uh, the calling of plays during the game. Because let's be honest here, I I agree with what you just said, and I understand it all. But if he wins, he's getting credit no matter who's on his roster. If he loses, he's getting blamed no matter who's on his roster. So I can't sit there seeing like, oh, I'm going to use Le'Veon Bell in counterproductive ways on purpose. I I, I can't see any of that now. Well, a, a Real cause for concern is you look at how he used running backs in Miami, how, you know, he traded Jay Ajayi away, and then Kenyon Drake was great. It looked great, and everyone was all – I remember how excited everyone was just to draft Kenyon Drake on their fantasy teams the next year, and then all of a sudden Kenyon Drake's not getting a lot of touches and Frank Gore's getting all the touches. And then at the end of the season, Frank Gore's like, yeah, I don't want this guy around either. So there's definitely cause for concern there. Now what I will say here is I don't know if you can really use Le'Veon Bell in a wrong way. If you're using him, he's, he's going to do good things. And just to clarify, I was talking about the signing. Now that they have Bell, as I said, I think that he's smart enough to know that it's to his advantage to use him in the multitude of ways that he's capable of being a major weapon. But I do think that his preference for Tevin Coleman over Le'Veon Bell had a lot to do with his own hubris. Yeah, agreed. Next question comes in from Jets Timeline. He says, if this Daniel Jeremiah and Joe Douglas thing actually happens, what do you see their roles being in the front office, and what do those roles entail? I would say that Jeremiah would probably be director of college scouting, and I would say that Joe Douglas is probably going to handle the pro player side more than anything else. Our friend Drew from Jersey pointed this out, and it makes a lot of sense given Jeremiah's background. I think that that's more or less what would happen. The two of them would work together to run those two sides of things, and then they would confer with Gase. Yeah, if, if Jeremiah is taking an NFL job, it's a one of two things it's either he's just the flat out full gm in charge of everything or you're running our college scouting that's what he does he was an excellent scout before he went to nfl network he is now a draft analyst focusing on college obviously he can sit here and he can i'm sure he can look and evaluate nfl players just the same but you're not going to hire daniel jeremiah at this point to do something other than scout college players. You might give him more to do if you made him the full GM there, but you know, like if let's say Philadelphia goes and does give Douglas a promotion and then the jets just say, okay, Hey, let's just give this job to Jeremiah. Then that would make sense, but he's not going to have any other type of role that isn't directly involved or has to do with college scouting. Next question comes in from Jesse Parrott. He says, do you think this changes team expectations? Also, has Gase guaranteed himself another year if he has some say in the GM hire? Felt like there was a playoff or 10-win mandate, but that would be gone now. 
I don't think that it really changes expectations. I think that this team is what it was before McCagnin was fired, which is a seven to nine win team. You could have a one or two win swing depending on what happens in a couple of different games, but I think that's the general expectation. You want to see a team that's in the playoff hunt in December. I think if he does that, then he'll have lived up to what most people thought the team would do this year. As far as the mandate or if this buys Gase an extra year, I always felt that Gase was going to be here at least two years unless this year was a complete disaster. If they went 3-13 and and the players revolted against him or something, then maybe they'd have gotten rid of him after a year. I think, barring that, he was going to be here for at least two years anyway. And I do think that a new general manager who's tight with Gase probably buys him an extra year or two, again, barring disastrous results. I'd be fairly surprised if Gase is here for less than three years. Yeah, it'll depend uh, partly on who they hire as the GM and how that goes. But I don't think it'll change anything. And if anything, I would say it makes it maybe a little uh, more of an issue for Gase. Maybe that it's more like because if they go and they have a terrible season and then he's sitting here and he's trying to pin blame on McCagnin, Maybe uh, Christopher Johnson's just sitting there and is just like, you know what, just get out of here now. Like, it, <laughs> like I don't see that happening, but if anything changed, I would think it'd be more in that direction than to sit there and go, okay, well, we hired you and fired the GM four months later. That means I'm going to make sure that to give you an extra year before you can turn this around. Christopher Johnson's going to want this turned around probably get more than one year i i i won't go to three years as as far as you i'd say two years because if they don't have a great year this year just an okay year and then next year is just okay or just bad then i think that would be enough to probably get him out the door especially again hey he made his move mccagnon's out this is on you now you get you got to turn this around that's probably true, but at this point, I think Christopher Johnson might be a little worried about being perceived as trigger-happy, especially after what just happened with McCagnin. So pulling the plug on Gase after a year or two is something he might be hesitant to do. But like you said, if things get really bad, anything can happen. And with that, we will wrap up part two of the weekend mailbag. We'll be back with part three tomorrow. In the meantime, make sure to follow Chris on Twitter at CNimbly. Read his work over at JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.